Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, February 28, 2021. Its focus is the need for believers to pray for and be as close to sinners as Jesus was. The message to all who will listen is God calls his people to be out among the lost so they can point the way to the Savior Jesus, so their neighbors can find grace and mercy. Now here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for your word that through your spirit accomplishes everything in us that you desire. And I pray, God, that today that my friends and I and all those who are listening, all who hear your word, that you would do in them everything that you desire, that we would be willing to be obedient servants of Jesus Christ and uh, that you would not only work in our hearts, but work out what's in our hearts as we go from this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you take a look at any church's prayer list, at least the ones that are made public, you're going to find lots of requests to petition God on behalf of brothers in Christ who are ailing or who are getting well. You're going to find requests for sisters in Christ who are scheduled for surgery or who are recovering from operations. Look at our prayer list on our bulletin. That's what you'll find. Observing this, you might get the impression that physical healing is the main concern of the kingdom of God. Don't get me wrong, it is a concern for those who follow Christ, but we are encouraged in the Bible to pray for the sick and care for them. James 5, 13 to 16 gives instructions about prayer for healing and other matters, so listen to what our Lord's brother, James, a leader in the church, wrote. Again, this is James 513 to 16. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Is the church supposed to pray for the sick? Yes. We are to take our own physical maladies and those of others to God. We cannot heal, but by faith we believe that God can, and so we ask for his grace in this matter. The main concern of the church, however, ought to be more than temporary alleviation of pain and suffering. The number one priority of the church has to be more than this. We, the saints, must not focus on the passing and the fleeting, but on that which will last forever. Didn't James's instructions hint at this? If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, sing. If someone's sick, pray and anoint. And then there's all this stuff about sin and confessing it and finding forgiveness. There's even a hint that sin and unwellness are connected. We'll see that as we move on. Today, as we examine Matthew 9, we're going to see that Jesus heals a sick man, someone who's ailing. 
He'll work miracles in response to the faith of those who are seeking their own healing and those who are begging for relief for a friend. At the same time, we'll see this truth. The eternal well-being of each man and woman Jesus encounters matters more than their bodily restoration. I'm not sure we need to change our publicly posted prayer list, but I believe there should be private lists held before God by each of us, which urgently plead for the eternal salvation of our family and friends, those who don't know Christ, and perhaps in less open meetings with trusted friends, believers in Christ, we could lift these folks to God's throne, asking for their spiritual rescue, for their freedom. Do you have people that you know and love who don't know Christ? If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Those living without Christ need your prayer. They need your prayers far more desperately than any sick brother or sister in Christ. All right, we're ready to go to Matthew chapter 9 now. In the very first verses of this chapter, we find temporal health concerns and eternal Life concerns mingle together. So let's see what we learn about healing and sin and Jesus in the first eight verses. You remember that's why we're going through the Gospels this year is so that we can get to know Jesus and what he cares about and what matters to him. Read with me, if you will. This is Matthew 9, 1 to 8. says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up. And went home, and when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. I'm not sure why, but the words came to his own town stood out to me this week. I don't think I've ever noticed them before. You ever had those experiences where you've seen something over and over, and it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? That was what happened to me this week. Jesus is home. The people he interacts with here, the paralytic, the guys carrying him, he might have known them from earlier years in his life. Maybe he knew the accusing teachers of the law, too. If they were from his hometown, they'd probably spoken up in synagogue uh, a time or two, telling those kids to quit acting up. Came to his own town. Reminds me that my work for the kingdom of God isn't something that I do far, far from home someday in the future when I get around to it, but it's something that I do very close to my front door every single day. The folks who live on Pine Street in Illinois and Iuka and Champa and Stout and whatever street you live on, these are the people you and I are on mission to bless. We're to go pray for them and join God in working among them. We'll talk about that again later too. Returning to the story at hand, I want you to note something else. Jesus took care of the man's sin first. There's no standing up and walking out of the room in verse 2, only forgiveness of sin. 
This is what I was getting at earlier. The eternal matters more than the temporal, the heavenly more than the earthly. If this isn't the case, why did Jesus start there? It's not like he couldn't have said get up right away. In many stories throughout the Gospels, the get up stuff is what we see first. In fact, sometimes it's the only thing we see. I'm not sure why Jesus acted differently in this instance, but I'm glad that he did. His words, his grace-granting action reminds me what matters most. Another thing to note before we move on, Matthew's word choice in verse 2 is interesting to say the least. He wrote, then Jesus saw their faith. You see it, don't you? Jesus saw their faith. He looked at the men who bore their friend's litter and saw faith. He looked at the crippled fellow who was lying on the mat and saw faith. And seeing faith in all of them, he granted forgiveness. Your belief in God for the salvation of your friends, of your husband, of your boss, it seems to matter. Yes, your coworker, your sister, your next door neighbor must believe in order to be set free, but your faith in asking for their salvation is not inconsequential. I'm going to guess some of you have been praying for a lost family member for more years than you can remember. I'm sure some of you have friends whom you've brought to God's attention begging for rescue time and time and time and time and time again, and you're still waiting. Keep praying. Keep begging with God with all the faith that you have. Keep doing what you're doing. Who knows when Jesus' words here will be spoken to your cousin or your high school buddy. God, help us to pray over and over and over for those people who need Jesus. Help us to pray and never, ever, ever, ever give up. You're released from praying for them when you get to heaven. A few weeks ago, we talked about judging, or actually about not judging. We noted then that appraising another's eternal destination is out of bounds because we don't know enough. Only God knows all there is to know and can pronounce a perfect verdict. We leave the work of weighing things and the balances to him. Here we find some men breaking Jesus' rule. In their hearts, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. They're sure only God can forgive sin. Who does this Jesus kid think he is? It's funny, isn't it, that this Jesus kid that they may have seen growing up, this Jesus guy is God. They are accusing God's son of acting like God, and they're full of disdain for him. It's not clear if they whispered their derision or if they just thought it in their hearts and nothing came out of their mouths or if they just cleared their throats and sneered. You've seen that look, right? Usually your mom, when you were not behaving self. But in verse 4, we find out that Jesus knows that what they were thinking. His first spoken words call these guys out. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Busted. You cannot think evil of anyone without God knowing it. He's got your inner life on speakerphone. Now, I'm glad that my thoughts aren't exposed like this to everybody. The world would become more a mess than it already is if we could read each other's thoughts. Thank God he puts a filter between the brain and the lips. 
may it work better and better. <laughs> At least better than last week, right? Thank God that he puts that there. At the same time, I'm thankful for the trouble-avoiding truth that others don't know my thoughts. I'm aware that my Savior does know my thoughts. He knows, and like he does here, he convicts, he points out when I err, when I sin, when I'm judging in my heart, even if it doesn't come out of my lips. When he does that, when he convinces me that what I'm thinking and doing is wrong, when he convicts me, I am ready to repent. I don't want to grieve God with all my evil mental ruminations. I submit to him and resist the devil and keep the dumbest of the dumb in, only with God's help. After revealing his complete knowledge of their thought life, Jesus asked the teachers of the law a probing question, verse 5. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? What would be your answer? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Which is easier to say? I think it's the sins forgiven statement. If you say get up and walk, there's an immediate feedback as to whether it happened or not. If you say you're forgiven, who knows whether you've been heard. There's nothing that you can see or hear that says mission accomplished. Except over time that transformed life. But immediately you don't see any change. Not a lot. Which is actually easier to say isn't made clear in this passage, but the one, get up and walk, is spoken by Jesus to prove that he has the right and the authority to do the other, to forgive. He says, get up, and the results are immediate. The paralyzed dude stands up, walks out in his newfound freedom. He's shouting praises to God, and this incident says... Jesus can heal and Jesus can forgive. He has authority to do both. The people in the crowd that day were filled with awe and they praised God because he had given authority to men. Don't you praise God for things like this? He's able to heal sickness, but more than that, he is able to wipe a sinner's slate clean. Woohoo! I am so glad my slate is wiped clean. Let me state the truth plainly. Forgiveness of sin matters more than physical healing. Everyone agree? Time to move on now. We've got more to learn about God and how he deals with sinners like you and me. Take a look at the next few verses in Matthew 9. Verses 9 through 13, if you understand what's going on, are full of good news for you and me. Here's what it says. Starting in verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Can we revisit that Jesus came to his own town statement once more briefly? 
if Jesus knew the paralytic and the guys who carried him, if they knew the teachers of the law who were sure that he was a blasphemer, it's likely he knew Matthew too. Everyone knew the local tax collector. Most hated the guy. He was likely a government-backed cheat. If what I've heard all my life is true, he could raise taxes as he pleased in order to line his own pockets. Rome was fine as long as they got their share. Despite all this, Jesus invites the man to join his motley crew. And they are motley, aren't they? He issues the same summons that he had given to Peter and James and Andrew and John on the seashore, come follow me. Matthew responds as quickly and as decisively as any of the 11 already eating, sleeping, drinking, and walking with Jesus had. He got up and followed. Any of you heard Jesus' voice calling out your name? He's still asking men and women to follow him. Follow me. How are you going to respond? I hope you'll get up and follow as Matthew did. The Jesus-following life is the only life that's worth living. Walking with him changes everything. So Matthew, Jesus' new recruit, immediately gets to work. He throws a dinner party for Jesus and invites his unruly friends to hang out with his new master. The guests who came were not A-listers. They're not elites. They're not do-gooders. They are not religious. They are scoundrels, people of ill repute, outcasts. We know this because the high and mighty Pharisees, watching all this go down, questioned Jesus' judgment and sitting at the table to sup with them. They asked the rest of Jesus' disciples, why is Jesus sitting next to the scumbags? The question of the night reached Jesus' ears. His response is telling. Listen to it again. It's found in verses 12 and 13. Pay attention to every word our Savior speaks. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Are you a mess inside and out? Is your past full of deeds that you'd like to forget? Do your current actions bring more shame than pride at times? Congratulations. Jesus would love to sit down and eat with you. He'd rather hang out with you than a thousand stuffy religious bigwigs who think they don't need any help. If you know that you need help, welcome to the table. Come, join Jesus. Ignore the disdainful stares of the holier-than-thous. They're not enjoying fellowship with Jesus. They've locked themselves outside. They've been given the key to the kingdom, but they won't come in. Crowder's song, Come As You Are, is powerful simply Because its message is Jesus' message. Listen to the truth this modern worship song puts forth. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted. Let rescue begin. 
come find your mercy. Oh, sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Oh, wanderer, come home. You're not too far, so lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless and all those who've strayed. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. I love that phrase, come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. This is Jesus' invitation to all. It's Matthew's to his friends. Having tasted grace from Jesus, he summons all who will listen. Come, taste the grace. Do you have friends who need to taste grace? Well, give it to them, first of all, but invite them to come. I have some friends, you probably do too, who have made terrible mistakes in life. They've made a mess of things at home. They've been fired more times than they can recall because they can't keep their mouths shut. Their behavior is rude, crude, and socially unacceptable, to quote one of my teachers in high school. (laughs) Do you have friends who, when they walk by, people point fingers and say, Sinner! Perfect. These are the people Jesus wants you to be in close relationship with. He wants them to be near you so that he can be near to them. How else are they going to find mercy if you won't give it to them? So the first story told us that forgiveness from God matters more than having perfect health. Pardon is Jesus' first priority. The narrative that we've just examined tells us that hanging with sinners matters more than being present with the saved. Bad people are first on Jesus' guest list. Are they first on your guest list? Matthew 9 holds one more lesson for us. Scan all the way down to the end of the chapter. Scroll past where Jesus and his disciples are called out for not fasting when everybody else is. Keep moving down the page when you come to the story of the dead girl's resurrection and the sick woman's healings. Great stories, but we're moving past. Don't stop at Matthew's report concerning the two blind guys who can now see or the demon-muted man who can now speak. Find verses 35 to 38. It's in these last verses, we hear a new command coming from our master's lips. I'm pretty sure the directive he gave the 12 years ago is the same one he issues to followers of his today. Listen to Jesus' words and know that they're for you. Here's what we find in Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out, compel, chase out, kick out, send out workers into his harvest field. Before we get to what Jesus says, look at what he does. He is out and about a lot. 
He's not sitting in an office. He's, he's wandering here and there and everywhere he goes. He's telling people the good news and showing his power and healing folks and looking harassed and helpless people in the eye. Peering deeply into their hearts and their minds and their souls, he sees hurt, sin, disappointment, desperation, and his heart is filled with compassion. If you don't have compassion with sinners, it's because you're sitting by yourself or with a bunch of people who don't need a doctor. It's from this place of deep concern for the harried folks around him that he speaks of a full and ripe harvest field. There are more people than his followers can imagine in need of God's grace. Men and women like Matthew's low-life table companions who need mercy more than anything else. Seeing all this, Jesus commands prayer. He instructs his disciples to ask God to send workers into the harvest fields. Those are the words we read. Understand that when he says the word send out, it's the same word that is used when he casts out, compels out demons. So this is out. He's pushing you out the door. Get out there. Do the 12 do as he orders? There's no record of a quickly thrown together prayer meeting. Matthew says nothing to knees hitting the dirt. There are no loud petitions mentioned, but we read the first verses of chapter 10, and this is what it says. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. This is right after he says, go pray, right? Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave him authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and new recruit, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Now, we're going to get to the instructions next week. But isn't it obvious that these men had prayed as Jesus charged them to pray? They prayed for workers to be kicked out the door, and they were chosen. Authorized, deputized by God to spread the good news of God's reign. What do you think? Does Jesus want you and me to pray this prayer? Isn't the harvest field just as ripe and ready in our day? Aren't there just as many people who are desperate for Jesus, helpless, harassed, like sheep without a shepherd? And aren't the workers still few? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We are being sent to the harassed and helpless people around us. We are being invited to see their pain and suffering and have compassion on them as Jesus did. We are being shown the door. Jesus is compelling us to get out. Forgiveness matters more than healing. May our prayer lists, at least our private ones, be full of dead and sin friends who need life. Hanging out with sinners matters more than being with saints. May your guest list include some outcasts. Going into the fields 
the harvest field matters more than sitting in a pew. Glad you're here. But this is not your place at all times. We gather together so that we might do what God's given us, so that we might encourage one another, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. May the soles of our shoes be covered with the muck of messy lives as we walk here and there. When Isaiah was set free from his guilt, he heard God's call. You've been set free from your guilt. Have you heard? Isaiah responds to the summons of the Holy One who'd forgiven him. And this is what we find in Isaiah 6, 8. God is speaking, says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, here am I, send me. When you ask God to send workers, be ready to be one. When you hear him ask, whom shall I send? Raise your hand, jump up and down, shout, pick me, pick me. Do you need to respond to God in some way this morning? Take a moment and talk with him. For whom does he want you to pray? With whom does he want you to hang out? Into what field is he sending you? I encourage you to ask and then to listen in this time of silence. Jesus, those around you in your day called you, they were meaning to be disparaging, they called you a friend of sinners. May we be friends of sinners. It's the only kind of friend we can be, really. Because all of us have sinned and all of us fall short and everybody around us is in the same boat and we're all struggling to follow something trying to make things right. And sometimes our friends and our neighbors and our family members, they choose to try to make things right in ways that don't fix anything, that just increase pain. It's what sin does. And we know that because we've found freedom and we're, we're walking as much in freedom as we can as your spirit guides us and when we stumble, we know that we're forgiven and you lift us up. And so I pray, God, that you'd help us to extend that same grace to our friends around us and that we would be in contact with them constantly, that we'd be out more than we're in. That this place, this, these gatherings on Sunday would just be a minor part of what you're doing in and through us in life. God, compel us to get out into the harvest field, to eat with sinners like you did. Do your work in us because we're going kicking and screaming, but God, we want what you want. We want people to know you. We want them to find grace as we did. So teach us Walk with us. Help us to figure it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, as you go today, as you go out, look around you. 
See how great the harvest is. Do the work that God gives you to do. You are being sent, compelled, chased out. How you respond matters more than you imagine as you go into the harvest fields. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.